Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay, with one notable exception. See, I was walking Finley a few hours ago, and I got stung by a yellow jacket. Which sucks. And it got me thinking, why are yellow jackets such assholes? I mean, pretty much every time I've thought I was stung by a bee, it turned out that it was actually a yellow jacket. And I've given the matter some thought, and I've come up with a theory. See, I think Yellow Jacket's educational system has really let them down. They probably have a lot of bee teachers who are in Yellow Jacket hives doing, like, missionary work. And so, like, the larval Yellow Jackets are looking at their bee textbooks, and they're like, well, first of all, there's a lot of stuff in here about honey that I don't think really applies to me. And the bee teacher is like, trust me, when you get a little bit older, that stuff is going to be really important to you. But you know what? It isn't. And so bees grow up with the same chip on their shoulder about honey that I have about fractions and proper grammar, because I ain't never using that shit. But probably more importantly, those bee teachers also taught them that if they sting somebody, then they'll die, because that's what happens with bees. But you know what? It's not what happens with yellow jackets. So these yellow jackets grow up thinking that if they ever sting somebody, then they're gonna die. And then one day, they get backed into a corner, and they sting somebody, and nothing happens. And they're like, what the fuck? This is just like that bee drug prevention program they made me go to, where they said that if I smoked even a little bit of insect weed, then I would put a larva in a microwave. Those bees were just doing scare tactics on me. So from that day forward, that yellow jacket's just buzzing around, biting and stinging everybody that he gets his hands on, thinking there will be no repercussions. But here's the thing. There are repercussions. Because when you sting somebody that is thousands of times your size, there's not a 0% chance you're going to end up dead. Which is what happened to that fucker that bit me. So if there are any insect educators who are listening to this show, I think the takeaway is clear. One, scare-based sting prevention tactics do not work. All you are doing is undermining your credibility. And B, teach your students not to fuck with me, because I will stomp on them. Thank you. Now, without any further ado, well, actually, you know what? A little bit further ado. I want to get a couple of plugs in. First of all, the first episode of the second season of Garden Plots with Skeletor just went up. Uh, I've been writing on that show for almost a year now, and it's a lot of fun. I've mentioned it before, I know, but it is a gardening advice podcast that is hosted by Skeletor, which is also kind of a workplace comedy about found family. And also, sometimes I get to write a scene where Beastman and Merman do color commentary on a drunken tetherball match between Skeletor and Hordak. It's a really fun show, and we have some really exciting guests lined up for the second season, one of whom just confirmed today, and I kind of can't believe we got them. 
But if you're looking for a jumping on point for the show, uh, like I said, the second season just started and there is some fun stuff coming up in it. The other plug I wanted to do is ego-brained listeners may remember a few years ago, I think probably close to five years ago now, I had my niece and nephew on to do a Patreon bonus episode where they watched the first episode of the Teen Titans cartoon with me and shared their thoughts on it. And they were like nine or ten at the time. But seeing as time marches inextricably forward towards its eventual conclusion. Oh, gosh, I didn't mean to go that far with it. Anyway, the thing is, uh, they are not nine anymore, which I disapprove of. But what I do approve of is they started doing a YouTube cooking show. And it's really good. So if you want my niece to teach you how to make spinach muffins and homentaschen, I think those are the only two episodes they have up so far, uh, you should check out Molly's Cozy Kitchen YouTube channel. So go do that, please. My niece and nephew are awesome, and you should watch their show. Okay, that's enough nepotism for now. Now, without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. Namor McKenzie, wearing no shirt with the speedo to show off his pecs. Imperious Rex, look at him strutting, kissing space slugs in London as he's flanked by some bream. Where's his non-team? All the lonely heroes who can recap all this. All the lonely heroes, we need a synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Defenders, number 94, April 1981. Beware the six-fingered hand. Written by J.M. DeMatteis, drawn by Don Perlin, inked by Joe Sinnott and Al Milgram, lettered by Diana Albers, colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. Hellcat. Son of Satan. Clea. Doctor Strange. The floating head of Nighthawk in one flashback panel. And introducing the Gargoyle. Previously in the Defenders. Doctor Strange's old pal, the very concept of reality itself, was in peril. So Steve called in his other old pal, Damon Hellstrom, a.k.a. the Son of Satan, to lend the gang a hand. Once our titular non-team had dealt with that existential threat, the devil-dadded do-gooder was about to ask the Defenders to help him out with a problem of his own. But he got distracted when Glamrock interstellar real estate mogul and celestial flim-flam man Nebulon showed up and used a combination of mind control and seduction to trick Namor into conquering England. It was a whole thing. The Defenders managed to snap Namor out of the thrall of his celestial Svengali, and together they beat the shit out of Nebulon. Hooray! Some space cops showed up in their UFO and hauled the cosmic conman off to space jail. What made the gang's victory over Nebulon both more impressive and somewhat bittersweet was the fact that even with the addition of Son of Satan, they were fighting shorthanded. Immediately before their departure for London, Nighthawk was stricken by a mysterious magical malady that left him paralyzed from the neck down. After a quick once-over, Steve immediately diagnosed Kyle's condition as incurable. Bummer! And speaking of bummers, 
Hellcat was still mourning the death of her estranged mother Dorothy, so she had missed out on the mission as well. While her pals were pummeling a sneaky space grifter, a distraught Patsy was lamenting her loss in the suburban home the late Dorothy Walker had bequeathed her. The cat-costumed crime fighter was so consumed by grief that she failed to notice when a shadowy figure emerged from her closet and advanced upon the unsuspecting recent orphan. Gadzooks! What does the sinister silhouette that accosted Patsy want? Will Nighthawk disprove Steve's dire diagnosis? And what manner of problem prompted Damon Hellstrom to seek the defender's assistance before he got distracted? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Economic prosperity for a small southern town. As of this issue, that's still a little bit unclear, but maybe? And a giant infernal hand bearing an unconventional number of digits, each of which is topped by a demon's head. Yeah, I can see how that might have slipped his mind. Valkyrie, Doctor Strange, and the Son of Satan descend upon the idyllic yet surprisingly crime-ridden suburban town of Montclair, New Jersey. It's not often that Steve is the least conspicuous member of a trio, but seeing as Val is riding a flying horse, and Damon is riding in a burning chariot drawn by three fire-breathing horses with snake tails, that is definitely the case tonight. The somewhat less-than-incognito threesome makes a beeline for the home Hellcat inherited from her dead mom. Apparently, while the rest of the team was in London, Patsy called the Sanctum and left a message asking for help. She seemed pretty freaked out last time we saw her, so I'm guessing the message Wong wrote down for Steve must have been something along the lines of, Patsy called, says, ah! Also, if you're going out, please pick up some cardamom. The gang approaches the house and is about to bust down the door when Damon is like, Hold up, guys. My lie detector pitchfork is telling me that this house is bullshitting us. Steve lobs some colorful mystic geometric shapes at the liar house, which dispels its illusion. The image of the house's exterior shimmers and reveals that the building is in fact a smoldering ruin which surrounds a deep pit filled with sharp spikes. Yikes. Either something strange and eldritch is afoot, or else Patsy got a little carried away with her Home Alone reboot and really has it in for those wet bandits. Before our heroes get the chance to look around for the charred corpses of Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, they hear a moaning coming from the wreckage. A brief search reveals that the source of the wailing is a badly injured Dolly Donahue, the walker's long-suffering housekeeper. Once she is pulled out of the wreckage, Dolly informs her rescuers that the last thing she saw was a creepy orange gargoyle wearing purple leather bondage gear flying away carrying Patsy. As they flew off, the gargoyle turned around and launched a fireball that blew up the house. Dang! Yeah, sounds like a real dick. I hope that isn't the same gargoyle that I listed as a defender right before the synopsis began. Our heroes take Dolly to a hospital before returning to the scene of the crime to continue their investigation. Meanwhile, in a different seemingly idyllic small town, a disturbing scene unfolds. In Christianboro, Virginia's historic town hall, Patsy Walker is chained to a picnic table. Above her, an orange gargoyle stands and leads a room full of hooded followers in a ritual. The hideous creature mentions something called the Six-Fingered Hand. Oh, like in the title of this issue. 
before invoking a demon bearing the unusual name Avarish and imploring them to accept this sacrifice of the cat from hell. You guys, I think he means Patsy. Well, that tears it. There is no way the Defenders would let this guy join up. Trying to kill your fellow Defenders definitely disqualifies you from non-membership. Unless you're Namor. Or the Hulk. Or Steve when he's calling himself the Red Raja and quoting Rush lyrics. Or Patsy and Valkyrie when they're being manipulated by a baboon man with weaponized pheromones. Or... Shit. They're totally gonna let this guy join, aren't they? Back in New Jersey, Son of Satan turns to Val and Steve and is like, Fuck you guys! Oops, sorry about that. Sometimes my inner deviliness kind of bubbles over. Not sure if you knew this, but my dad's the devil. Oh, hey, I just remembered something. That thing I was going to ask you guys to help with? Well, I'm pretty sure it's connected with all this. See, a while ago, I was doing this exorcism on a lady, and she wouldn't shut up about something called a six-fingered hand. I used my magic pitchfork to do the necromantic equivalent of a Google image search, and only two things popped up. Well, okay, technically three, but one of them was a picture of Count Rugen, the character Christopher Guest plays in the movie The Princess Bride, and since that movie doesn't come out for a few years now, I figure it's probably not connected. But the other two images that my staff showed me seemed relevant. One of them was a giant gross six-fingered hand that had demon heads instead of fingertips. The other image was of the floating disembodied heads of Hellcat, Nighthawk, and Mewtwo. Weird, right? I probably should have mentioned that sooner. Anyway, in unrelated news, I just did a magic thing at this rubble, and it said we should go to someplace called Christianboro, Virginia. So, let's go. As they fly off, Steve sends his astral avatar back to the Sanctum Sanctimonious, to say hi to Clea and ask her to check in on Kyle and see if he needs any jello or anything. Clea does as Steve asks, but when she gets to the room where Kyle was staying, she's surprised to find that his bed is empty. Huh. She looks out the window and sees a shadowy shape that freaks her the fuck out. We don't get to see the nature of this frightening shadow, so I guess we'll have to wait until next issue to see if we get six more weeks of winter. A short time later, Val, Steve, and Damon arrive in Christianboro. Son of Satan is like, Watch out for demons, everybody! Val is like, Nah, this seems like a nice place. I'm sure there aren't any demons here. Then a whole shitload of demons jump out and attack them. Damn it, Valkyrie! Damon blasts a bunch of demons with his hellfire. Hooray! Val slices up a bunch of demons with her magic sword. Hooray! Steve makes a bunch of colorful blobs of light. Hooray? After seeing all his underlings get stabbed and melted and sliced and, uh, distracted, I guess, Gargoyle finally emerges from the town hall and attacks the defenders. As he leaps into battle, the hideous fiend bellows, Knock it off, you guys! You're ruining my economic revitalization spell! If you don't leave now, this whole town will continue to experience high unemployment, which coupled with inflation and stagnant demand could be ruinous for our community! Huh. Not the catchiest of hell-spawned battle cries. Son of Satan is like, Your words are confusing, but I bet they and you are probably evil. And I know a thing or two about evil, because my dad is the devil. 
You don't say. The Satan-sired superhero attacks his strangely civic-minded foe, and the two fight to a stalemate. A stalemate which is broken by the arrival of an old friend. Sort of. It's Patsy Walker. Hellcat. Hooray! Or not so hooray, as it turns out, because Patsy is now really leaning into the hell part of her superhero name and has been all demoned up. She switched out her yellow and blue spandex for a black leather bathing suit. Her eyes and skin are both red, and her hair starts naturally forming either cat's ears or devil horns, or possibly both, on the side of her head. Also, she has a tail, because why the hell not? Patsy blasts Damon with a bolt of evil energy, which I guess is a thing she can do now, and gives a little speech about how cool it is to be evil and how much she likes it. Rather than trying to be supportive of her in her new alignment life choices, Damon and Steve attack her. Typical. The new improved Patsy uses her new demon powers to absolutely kick the shit out of both of them. Wow. Patsy next turns her attention to Valkyrie. Val is like, Nah, fuck that. You're my friend, and I'm not fighting you. Knock it off, Patsy. And with that, Valkyrie puts her magic sword down on the ground. Hellcat leaps on her defenseless former friend, and is like, I'm gonna murder you so hard! But Val's like, You can kill me all you want, but I'm still your friend. So there. Patsy is like, Works for me! and moves in to eviscerate her erstwhile buddy. But then at the last minute, the power of friendship compels her, and instead of disemboweling Valkyrie, she instead gives her a big hug. Aww. Man, isn't that always awkward when you misread whether someone's going in for a hug, or a handshake, or a disemboweling? I feel like I always guess wrong on that. Foiled by the bond that Hellcat and Valkyrie share, the demonic feline spirit of Avarish flees Patsy's body and is dispersed into the early morning air. Hooray! Once Avarish is gone, the hooded cultists who had been complicit in Patsy's kidnapping take off their hoods and are like, Uh, what happened? We must have all been brainwashed or something. Thank goodness you guys broke that spell. Sure, guys. Sure. One of them is like, you know who I bet did this? Old man Isaac Christians. He was always studying the occult and saying he's going to cast spells and stuff. But we all laughed at him on account of nothing supernatural has ever happened in the Marvel Universe. But now, I'm not so sure. Since there were demons involved in these doings that just happened, I bet he's behind it. Partly for the reasons I just said, but mostly because his last name is Christians, which would make the whole thing pretty ironic. The gang follows the angry mob up to the old Christian's mansion. On their way, the mob helpfully explains that Isaac's family helped found this town 150 years ago, and for quite a while Isaac was the mayor, and did a great job with civic revitalization. Hmm, I feel like we met someone recently who was concerned with civic revitalization. Who was that? The gang kicks in Isaac's door and are surprised to find that behind the large mahogany desk in his office is not the hunched and shriveled, doddering elderly man they had been expecting, but rather someone possessing an entirely different sort of gnarled and wizened body. It's the gargoyle! Who'd have thunk it? The gargoyle has clearly been crying. He's like, 
All right, you got me. I tried to sacrifice your kitty cat pal to a demon named Avarish. In return, he was supposed to make this town prosperous again. He changed me into this body so that I could better do his bidding. He was supposed to change me back when it was all over, but when you defeated him, he was mad at me, so he left me trapped in this body forever. I know now that what I did was wrong, but I just wanted what was best for this town. If I'm guilty of anything, it's caring too much. Well, that and kidnapping. And attempted murder. And I did blow up that house. And, well, I'm not sure that there's a specific law against summoning demons. I'm sure it's probably at least frowned upon. Anyway, sorry. Steve shrugs off Isaac's whiny, self-pitying half-apology and is like, Okay, whatever. Is there anything you can tell us about a six-fingered hand? Isaac is like, No, Avarish was mean to me. He called me a jerk and wouldn't tell me anything. But I wanted to turn the town's economy around, so I put up with it. There was nothing else I could do. The townspeople are like, Uh, Ike? You're rich as fuck. You could have reopened the old mill and paid people a decent wage, or invested in local businesses, or hell, just given people your money. Isaac is like, But I didn't want to! So you see, kidnapping a young woman and sacrificing her to a demon was the only way! Well, he's got you there. Steve takes the other defenders aside and is like, Well, one thing is clear. We have to find the six-fingered hand, which for some reason I now know is a physical object, not an organization or a metaphor. And we need to smash it before its demon-headed fingers can close into a fist. Because even though nobody's mentioned that it can do that, or what it would mean if it did, it seems like it would be a bad thing. Everyone nods sagely in agreement that a fist that has demon heads for fingers would indeed probably be a bad thing. Isaac, who has been listening, pipes up and is like, Can I join your team? I have a gargoyle's power of being really ugly and I guess kind of strong. Steve is like, Yes, yes, sure, whatever. Son of Satan is like, Um, are you sure? I know I'm new here, but he did try to sacrifice Patsy to a demon. Steve is like, well, yes, but he sort of said he was sorry. I'm sure it will be fine. Patsy pipes up and is like, Besides, when I was possessed, I learned something. It wasn't Isaac's idea to sacrifice me. My soul had already been pledged to the six-fingered hand before he kidnapped me. The person who sold my soul to demons was... My mother. Wow. You know, I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but fuck Phil Spector. I like a wall of sound as much as the next person, but that guy was a real piece of shit. Oh, uh, also Patsy's mom seems like a jerk. And joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. It's a Friday evening, and uh, it was a nice sunny day with blue sky outside, so can't complain. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm still adjusting, I think, to our new recording schedule, and 
I think one of the adjustments that I tried to make might not work out so great. What's that? Well, even when we record on the afternoons by the end of the session, you probably haven't noticed, but when we get to the end credit bits, I am kind of starting to lose some mental stamina. Mm -hmm. So, uh... I was worried about that happening with the nighttime recording, so I figured you want to keep your energy up. So I decided to carbo load. Mm -hmm. I think that might have been a tactical error. Oh, yeah, no, you have to do that um, well in advance, like the night before. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, a couple hours ago, I just ate a bunch of pasta with a pesto cream sauce that I made on it. And uh, now I just kind of want to take a nap. Yeah, that sounds delicious, but that's the recipe for wanting to take a nap well i've always found that nothing perks you up quite like a depressant so uh i'm gonna have a little bit of whiskey and uh then you're ready to talk about a comic book i'm ready so Corey, what did you think of this comic book i thought this was a fun read yeah i really liked this one i think maybe partly it is benefiting from comparison to last week's new teen titans issue but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where this is going. It was a nice mixture of seems pretty high stakes. There's a lot of interesting things going on. And there's definitely some weird goofiness to it as well. So yeah, overall, so far, pretty curious about this whole six-fingered hand business. So yeah, it's good that you mentioned that title. That is my major complaint with the issue. The six-fingered hand? Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, is a thumb a finger? And I've just had this wrong the whole time? And I looked it up, by which I mean I googled it, <laughs> and the consensus on the first several hits was that the thumb is not a finger. Oh. See, that's a level of pedantry that I was not prepared for. I mean, I know technically the thumb isn't a finger, but are, are you very frustrated by the band Five Fingers of Funk? Or do you just assume they're using one of their fingers from their other hand? Um, yeah, that's a good point. That never really <laughs> rubbed me the wrong way, and I didn't think about it in that level of detail. I think it just it comes from reading so many of these comics and taking notes on them, and a lot of those notes having to do with the minutia. Gotcha. That I, I can't help but sort of pick everything apart now. Well, I mean, I think if you're looking for something to be struck by, by the uh, six-fingered hand, I would go with the fact that it just looks goofy as fuck, having little demon heads on top of each finger. Those are the most menacing finger puppets. It's like if Glenn Danzig was like, I'm going to make some finger puppets. <laughs> yeah, but I got to say, the most menacing finger puppets are still not super menacing. Well, no, Danzig made them. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the things that I was definitely struck by. It reminded me of a couple of things. First of all, have you ever watched the show Steven Universe? I have not. There's a couple of episodes where he is trying to learn shape-shifting, and he's bad at it at first, and all he can do is change one of his fingers into a cat's head, and it's kind of adorable. Oh. But mostly, it reminded me of a weird thing from comic books, Master Pandemonium. Have you heard of him? Um, no. I am going to send you a picture. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? 
for very complicated comic book reasons. But yes, uh, for those of you who are listening at home, Corey is currently looking at a picture of Master Pandemonium, Uh a West Coast Avengers villain who at one point switched out his arms for the babies of the Scarlet Witch and Vision. Why? Uh, Devil stole his arms and also most of his soul, and there was some complicated stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, he ended up with babies for arms. Incidentally, I would not recommend doing a Google image search for baby arm. (laughs) But, yeah, that was kind of what I was reminded about this, where I'm like, it is disturbing, it is weird, not necessarily intimidating the way I think it was going for. No, no, it makes him seem really, really disconnected from whatever reality he was operating in, because as he's waving his baby arms over his head, he's saying, my scheme has borne a sweeter fruit than I ever dared dream. Now (laughs) Master Pandemonium is unbeatable. Which, it just doesn't seem accurate. (laughs) I don't know, I've never fought a baby-armed man. I would run the fuck away. Yeah, I would run the fuck away, too, so maybe he is undefeatable. Oh, I I don't like this picture. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Let's talk about a different picture instead. How'd you like the cover of this comic book? Oh, man, so good. You know, speaking of Danzig, I I guess that's what made me think of it. A lot of these demons have that, like, sort of cow skull with big horns look. Mm -hmm. And I like that it finally addresses the practical limitations of Val's armor, I guess, where she's brandishing her sword and her uh, uh, boob armor is like clinking together in the middle in a way that looks very frustrating. Yeah, it seems pretty uncomfortable for her. Her breasts are cross-eyed, it looks like, kind of. Mm -hmm. And therefore not doing a great job protecting her from Hellcat. But I will say that the cover image is so good that the image of the six-fingered hand that is on it manages to actually look creepy instead of just goofy. So that's how good it is. It is by an artist named Michael Golden, who I'm a big fan of, and it's one of the better Defenders covers I think we've seen. It's really, really good, and it also seems like it was from about five or six years in advance of when this issue came out. How so? It, it just has a, a more of a late 80s style than an early 80s style. I'm not completely sure how to classify it other than that, but if this cover was on a 1988 issue of the X-Men, it would look perfectly normal there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do see what you mean. Yeah, it's so good that I wasn't bothered by the fact that it's a a five-fingered hand. Is it? I'm sorry, I'm going to do a a head count here. One, two. It has five fingers and a thumb. Okay, Corey. When you hear people call shoplifting a five-finger discount, do you assume shoplifters use both hands? No. I gotta say, the interior art in this issue is also really, really solid. It is, once again, the art team of Don Perlin and Joe Sinnott. There are apparently some uncredited inks by Al Milgram in here, but it doesn't have the same kind of hurried feel that some of the previous issues have had, and I really like the way these guys work together. Yeah, same here. 
you're right. It doesn't feel rushed. There's a surprising amount of, of detail, especially in that opening panel with the, the dog walkers. It does still, especially on that page, I noticed there's a thing about Don Perlin's art where I really like it, but I've mentioned this before. It has a kind of static quality to it. There are times when people seem posed rather than they are caught in a moment, and that page is definitely one of them, specifically the pose that the dog walker is doing. He's doing a weird, like, disco point, and it was kind of distracting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like a still from an old movie. Yeah, and you see that a little bit in the next page, too, which is absolutely fucking gorgeous. We will be talking about this panel more later on. It's when Son of Satan and Steve and Valkyrie all swoop down on the sleepy town of Christianboro, Virginia. And it is just gorgeous. But again, everyone does look very posed. A couple of things struck me about, about this page, though. One of which is we see that the demonic horses that Son of Satan shows up on no longer have snake butts, which is disappointing to me. They have legs and snake tails, but... I miss them having snake butts. Yeah, they, they really watered it down. Yeah, way to go commercial, son of Satan. He sold out. The other thing that it took me a while to figure out what was off about it, but son of Satan and Steve look super intimidating and, like, heroic and fearsome. And Valkyrie looks weird. Like, she looks like she is riding a merry-go-round horse and is worried about falling off of it. And it took me a while to figure out that it's the scale that is off. So she is about the same size as Aragorn in that picture. And it makes it, it has a weird, like, it makes it look like she's riding a toy horse. And it's just kind of goofy. Mm. Yeah, I think they're trying to make her, you know, appear further away, closer to the house, less in the foreground. But you're right, the scale is a little jacked. I read that as Steve and Damon Hellstrom are doing the super dramatic entrance, and it's like they're trying to one-up each other <laughs> with how much flair they're coming onto the scene with. And Val is just like, oh, I'll just be yeah. over here. She doesn't have that kind of, like, resigned air on her face, though. It's, like, super intense. It's like she's like, giddy up, giddy up. Get me away from these assholes. What did you think of this story? You know, on on its face, the moral lesson is pretty on the nose, right? Like, don't make a deal with the devil. That's bad. I think that's a pretty solid moral lesson. Mm. Don't literally sell your soul to demons. That's not going to work. I mean, also, I think we can probably extrapolate, although we don't necessarily know how this is playing out for all those concerned, but probably it's bad to sell your daughter's soul to the devil too which mm -hmm. we see that patsy's mom did yeah so i got that from a dramatic standpoint like how awful is that <laughs> yeah to have your mom sell your soul at the same time i was i guess a little annoyed by it because it is it's taking patsy and just being like okay you're the thing you know that is gonna be sacrificed and everybody has to to rescue and you know, I guess she sort of regains her agency at the end of it. To an extent, but that is also when she found out that her mom sold her soul on her behalf, uh, which certainly would be robbing her of her agency again. And also is just logistically confusing. Like, 
you're allowed to sell other people's souls? Or is that like, was Patsy Swan doing some kind of like uh, demonology-based identity theft there? Like, what is the soul-based currency economic system? What does that look like? Oh, you can only sell your, your firstborn, right? Isn't that how it works? I really haven't looked into this as much as you have, apparently. I haven't looked into it a huge amount, but like, isn't there something about like, I promise you my firstborn, whatever? I mean, if you're going to sell one of your kids, you would probably want it to be the firstborn. I mean, just, first pancake never comes out right. You know what I'm saying? Just rip the bandaid off, you know, get it over with. Yeah. So I think you can only sell your firstborn kid's soul if you're looking to do okay. that. So there are bylaws to this. It's not just everybody's out there hitting it multi-ball style and selling other people's souls willy-nilly. Uh-huh. That's good to know. Middle child is like, ha-ha, finally. I did think it was weird, too, the extent to which everybody seems to just kind of forgive the gargoyle dude for, you know, trying to sacrifice a woman to the devil. Well... Pub. His heart was in the right place. He just <laughs> wanted the town to be prosperous again. I mean, come on. Yeah, the whole story definitely does have that the lottery or the wicker man or that one issue of the comic book St. George that I read where it's like, this is going on and it's a clear allegory and it's supposed to be a, a bad thing. Like, you're not supposed to sacrifice other people for economic prosperity. But the extent to which everybody's like, well, okay, obviously he shouldn't have kidnapped one of the main protagonists of this book and tried to murder her and send her soul to hell. We agree, that is bad. But you're right, everyone is ultimately like, but you know, he just wanted to turn this town around and help the economy. Is that really so bad? And he feels bad about it, so now he's gonna be a defender. Yeah. Very frustrating. Uh, have you read The Lottery? I have not. It's real good. Have you seen The Wicker Man? Um, just the scene with the bees. Oh, okay. So you're talking the Nicolas Cage one. Yeah. The original one is actually good. Oh. Yeah, there was like a really creepy 70s movie. And man, yeah, that Nicolas Cage one. You are so much better off watching the like five minute supercut of Nicolas Cage acting all goofy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that movie's bad. Hmm. Bad meaning bad. <laughs> Yes, not in the Run DMC sense. Mm, more in the, the Huey Lewis in the news sense. Uh, yes, where cool is the rule, but sometimes bad is bad. A yip, mm -hmm. yip, 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 do wop wop. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Chili, all you can eat, two ninety nine. <laughs> you know? But you can't eat that much of it. Is that a quote from the song? Uh, it's something like, chili, all you can eat, two ninety nine, but $2 worth was all that I could stand. Oh. It's before the one about the guitar buzzing. I'm reaching back very far here. It's probably a little fuzzy. Understandable. So there's a lot about Isaac Christians. The Gargoyle is a really interesting character, and I'm looking forward to seeing him develop more. But not a really strong entry for him, I gotta say. Yeah, not at all. And due to the, you know, dual nature of this podcast, I could not help but think, man, DCU and Marvel, it's just... Their take on Gargoyles is so different. Where are those tiny pliers, you know? <laughs> well, they didn't try using tiny pliers on him. Maybe that's how you crack the cheat code on this guy. Mm. Although, yeah, he also didn't seem to have a ring shaped like his head. So, yeah, you're right. Super different characters. It is 
weird to to think about a guy who was a wealthy southern patriarch in 1900 doesn't like the direction his small town is headed in so make sacrifices to the devil yikes and we're supposed to kind of come away from this like he just wanted the south to be the way it was in the 20s and 30s poor guy <laughs> not it's not troubling at all i was trying to figure out too at one point he says he served in both world wars did you look it up because i read that too and i was like i should look that up to see if he's like 200 years old but oh, too lazy it is possible he basically would have been had to have been born right around the turn of the century like he would have had to maybe lie about his age a little bit sign up at 16 so that he could catch the last year or two of world war one and then that would have made him 40 at the start of world war ii so he wouldn't be drafted at that point for sure and I don't know if they would have accepted him as an enlisted man, but if he was a career military guy, like, he could have risen in ranks if he was signed up for the military in the intervening years. Like, I think Patton served in both wars, and there were a couple of other, like, high-ranking generals and guys who did. But it was pretty uncommon, and he does just kind of toss it off like, well, you know, I just signed up and served in both the world wars. You know, that's what people my age did. And I mean, it's possible, but it certainly wasn't the norm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't see Gargoyle as a George Patton kind of character. <laughs> I don't think he's a career military guy. I think he might be lying, but also lying in a way that, fuck, if I was like in my 80s in 1981, I'd probably lie about that shit too. Nobody's going to call you out. You're just going to be like, that dude is pretty old. Yeah. You're super old, and you're. Oh, you also look like a gargoyle. So find your fun where you can. You're like, yeah, me and Al Capone used to go shoe shopping with Babe Ruth and the Kaiser. That old chestnut. I just picked three pretty terrible people there. Hmm. But I gotta say, Isaac's judgment is somewhat questionable, regardless. Indeed, it is. I mean. I guess we can take some solace in what he has to wear. That'll come up later, but ouch. Yeah, maybe that's why everyone's so quick to forgive him. They just look at his outfit and they're like, yeah, that guy suffered enough. <laughs> I gotta say, too, the demons that he is working with... I was just gonna say that, oh my god. <laughs> these are some cartoon-ass fucking demons on every level. It's I. You know what it made me think of is... There was this uh, those machines that you you know you put quarters into and you get toys out of outside of like department stores and stuff. Yeah, the little like capsule toys you get out of the quarter machines. Mm -hmm. A lot of these demons totally reminded me of that like goofiness, like especially the green one would just who's just like nothing but tail arms and tongue. Yeah, there's one muppety fuck who's up in there too. It's in the big attack scene. And the, he's the orange guy, he's got like a man-thing face on a chicken body, which has got to be the worst variation on Sir Mix-a-Lot's L.A. face with an Oakland booty thing. Yeah, that guy was a standout also. 
So they are cartoonish in their appearance, but they're also fucking cartoons in their behavior as well. I mean, the trap that they set for the defenders, they just dug a pit and put some sharpened sticks in it. Mm-hmm. How is that a demon trap? Like, what, were they out of fucking anvils? Could they not find a box large enough to prop up with a stick on a string? Just, like, paint a doorway on the side of a mountain. (laughs) Oh, man, if I had a nickel for every time Steve fell for that shit. (laughs) It is so goofy. So that's goofy, and then also, there is one sound effect that totally got me. Immediately following the pit with the sharp sticks in it, we see coming up from there, there's a ooh. <laughs> like it's a fucking sitcom audience where somebody's just gotten a sick burn in. Oh, that's funny. I read it more like a cartoon ghost. No, like an exclamation of desire or satisfaction. Huh. Which, you know, is not relevant to the context of the scene, but. Did crack me up. Hey, who knows what demons are into? Right? You don't know where that noise is coming from. They are super into their pranks. Mm -hmm. You should see the noises they make when they put Steve's hand in a glass of warm water. (laughs) Ooh! (laughs) I feel so bad for Dolly, the housekeeper. That poor lady. I feel bad for us, too, that... I mean, because, you know, let's recenter this conversation on us. (laughs) I obviously do feel bad for Dolly, but it also seems like we're maybe not going to get any more of Montclair, New Jersey, because that house just got imploded. And I can frankly see Patsy not wanting to live in the house of someone who sold her soul to the devil. Yeah, that is a bummer. Was that map for nothing? Should I just take that off of my wall? Do I not need to know where the house is in relation to Chicken OK anymore? Guess not, man. I guess I spent way too much time memorizing that thing. But I really liked the idea of the Defenders having a suburban base, and it seems like that's being taken away from us now. And I'm bummed about that. And I'm obviously bummed for Dolly, but I'm glad it seems like she's probably going to be okay. She's certainly in better shape than uh, Kyle, probably? Uh, we'll get to that later. Okay. Do you have any theories on Kyle's mysterious disappearance? Mostly just confused. I didn't think his infirmity was going to be a thing anymore. I thought it was tied to Nebulon. And now that Nebulon's gone, I just thought he'd be fine again. But he was still paralyzed, apparently. And then he just left. What do you think happened? If I'm being charitable, you know, forces beyond his control have spirited him away Uh uh-huh if i'm not he just figured out how to leave and he's like i'm out of here so do you think he was faking it no i mean i can see the old kyle doing that but flair ice cream scooper new kyle i don't want to think that of him no i don't i feel like the character was actually starting to turn around under this new creative leadership and you know i wanted to see where he's going but if he's just the kind of guy that's gonna float out of bed and hang outside the window to scare the person that was nursing you without saying goodbye or anything which may or may not be the case you Mm. know bad job man yeah no i hear you i'm not sure what to make of this kyle storyline i'm looking forward to seeing where it heads but uh 
Yeah, I was confused that that was still a thing. It seemed like in the last issue, they gave themselves the out that his being on Death's Door was because of mystical energy that was connected to the time he fought Nebulon. And then at the end of the issue, they find out that Nebulon was back, and then he goes back to space jail. It seemed to make sense that that would all be connected, but I don't think that's the case. Hmm. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Guess we'll see. It means that the Defenders are a little bit shorthanded because Hulk just decided to leave, and Steve says something about the fact that there was no time to contact anybody, which kind of highlights the fact that Steve has a really inconsistent power set, and I understand that being kind of a narrative necessity, but it's still frustrating. Because last issue, I think the last two issues, we saw him teleporting people all over the world. And this time, they fly in on Son of Satan's no longer snake-butted demon horses. It seems like that would certainly take a lot more time than teleporting. And also, he can contact people psychically pretty much instantly when he needs to. So him saying things like there was no time to contact anybody else, but we're going to travel there physically instead of teleporting, it just doesn't quite add up. And I wish we had more clarification as to what he could and couldn't do. You know? Mm. Yeah, it's almost like inconsistent powers are a thing yeah touche i don't know i get that it would be hand wavy but i I wish we had at least the hand waving explanation you know like my psychic resources are tapped right now so sorry oh you're missing the days of the black and white of uh, magically impotent steve yes give me a sentence or two talking about why he has enchantile dysfunction that's all i'm saying We talked a little bit about the big demon fight and how goofy-ass a bunch of the demons looked in that. There is a sequence where you see Son of Satan fighting demons and Valkyrie fighting demons and Steve fighting demons, and it cracked me the fuck up because Son of Satan looked metal as fuck when he's fucking melting demons with his hellfire. And Valkyrie looked badass as hell as she is slicing demons in half with the sharp end of her sword, no less. And then Steve seems to be trying to distract the demons by making balloon animals. Yeah, but balloon animals that are decapitating and eviscerating. I guess it didn't read that way to me, honestly. I just saw him making some fun squiggle shapes and demons are yelling in the background because I guess... They hate balloon animals. Like, I think horses are afraid of balloons. Maybe demons are like that, too. Horses are afraid of balloons? I mean, not all horses, but a lot of horses, I guess. Horses are weird, man. Like, as scared as I am of horses, horses are scared of, as near as I can tell, everything. That's weird. They're big and scary. Well, that's good to know. If I ever go to a place with horses, I'll bring some balloons just in case. In case they start to get out of line. Yeah, or just menace me or bite me. (laughs) I realize we've done a fair amount of prospector talk recently, but every time the gargoyle mentions his, I guess, dark master, Avarish, it made me think that he was just saying Avarice like an old prospector. Mm. 
are just like a little greedy. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say he's avaricious, but he's, you know, a little avarish. Oh, maybe he's saying avaricious, uh, but like he's shortening it to sound cool. Uh-huh. It's like he says deets instead of details. Isaac, you're 83. You're not fooling anybody. Also, take those skinny jeans off. You look like a weird bird. Yeah, it made me wonder if avarish is maybe just in league with Satanish, and if we're going to see that guy pop up soon. Oh, interesting. Well, there are five other, assuming he's one of the six fingers. Oh, right. Do you think all of them are going to be like sin adjacent names? I mean, ish. <laughs> I know means not a sin, but that's like, <laughs> it should be. Should be. Pride esque. Glutton light. Lil Slothy. Lestat? Nah, that would be Lestat. I was gonna... Maybe that's where he got his name from. Oh, that Anne Rice. What a way with words. Indeed. The other goofy demon choice that I think is made is uh, the town hall where Isaac is hanging out, where he's about to sacrifice Patsy. Or maybe that is Avarish, who's planning on sacrificing him. <laughs> Yeah, when he's in the town hall and he's saying, Oh, Avarish, feeder of black visions, dancer among the rotted dead, we've brought thee the long promise. We brought you the cat from hell. My favorite thing about that scene is his attention to detail where he replaced the pictures on the wall of the town's founders with framed paintings of demon heads. Yeah, I had a, I had a note to, to bring that up as like a... I don't know what kind of business opportunity there is there with demon portraits, but I, I feel like somebody's missed the boat here. <laughs> I, I feel like the internet would buy that. Oh, just like pictures of demons, like, how? Oh, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Send in a picture of your dog. <laughs> we'll turn it into a Everish. Oh, like a Snapchat filter that turns you into to a demon? But you get an actual painting. Like a framed painting that you can hang on your wall of somebody that's been demonified. I feel like you could just have a bunch of pictures of demons and just send them any demon. Yeah. Oh, this is easy money. I mean, those paintings aren't very good. Okay, tell you what, Corey, you start painting demons. I'll put some feelers out, see if we can get people to sign up for bespoke one-of-a-kind images of them or their pet as a demon. We'll see what we can do. You know what we can call the business? Hmm. Devil dogs. Huh? Oh, because, like, if it was exclusively for dogs? Yeah. Hmm. I like the name. It just might be a little limiting. People might want to get birds or... You know what? You want a picture of your bird as a demon? Just take a photograph of it. Oof. Take that, birds. <laughs> Zing. Hey, if we have any bird listeners, fuck you, bird! <laughs> well, Corey, uh, you ready to get into the minutia? Yeah, why not? Okay. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? You want to talk about clothes? Sure. 
Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion did you find the most noteworthy? Well, we already brought it up, but it is, I think, the most noteworthy, and that is gargoyles get up. It is yeah. weird. It is some interesting bespoke purple bondage gear that he's wearing. It does not look particularly comfortable. So he's wearing like a weird chest harness with a purple flower-shaped collar, kind of, and some arm garters. Mm -hmm. The whole thing seems to be made out of purple leather. The thing I found most disturbing was the fact that he is either wearing toeless shoes or in some panels it looks like he's wearing those like shoes that have toes <laughs> he's the original vibram yeah i know the commercial version wasn't available at this point but i gotta believe that hell had the prototype yeah no i think they're sh- toeless shoes so he can use his prehensile toes is, is that the word i was trying to figure out how to say that yeah and he's got wrist warmers. Like, they're not quite sweatbands, because they're more significant, and they match the rest of his outfit. Yeah. I, I saw them as those, like, cuff bracelet-type things. I mean, it is definitely bondage gear, right? Oh, yeah. It's, to me, it seemed like Ren Fair meets bondage. It seems like... Hell has a very specific and definite fetish going for itself. Mm. Because you see, Hellcat is wearing kind of bondage gear adjacent getup, too. That is, I think, the other significant outfit that we have here is Hellcat's, I don't know, black leather physics defying bathing suit. Yeah, it's like a body paint bathing suit. Yeah. Where, like, okay, we need to cover the stuff we can't show. But it needs to be connected so it won't fall off, so we'll paint these other little lines here and there. It's weirdly put together, and her look is just weird, too. I appreciate the running thing that Hell has, too, where, no, when we claim somebody, we're going to make little horns out of their red hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that she has her own version of hair devil horns, which is, is nice to see, especially when she squares off against old Damon Hellstrom there. Yeah, the whole Patsy as demon treatment here is, I feel like it's really executed like a mid-budget 80s horror movie. Like, I, you could really see that happening. Yeah, it looks like it could be pretty easily done with practical effects. I think the biggest expense you would have would actually be buying enough spirit gum to keep her costume on. It is kind of weird and... I don't know. It strikes me as a little bit reductive to have her be like, well, she's got hell as part of her name. Therefore, Satan. It's like, that's not what Hellcat means in this context. Stop stop it with the fucking homonyms, comic books. Not possible. Well, then, if everybody's going to be defined by every possible meaning of their name, then I feel like the Punisher should have to make a lot of puns constantly. <laughs> Was there any other fashion you wanted to talk about? Or I think that's kind of it for this issue, isn't it? The only other thing is the worshippers in the church are all wearing these cloaks on their heads. So the townspeople can't tell who's the Satanist or whatever. Yeah, but they have like Spider-Man style eyes where like they have like big white dots for the eyes 
that seem to change with their expressions somehow. Yeah, it's weird. And there's like one person in the middle who has giant eye holes. Again, there is just a thing where it's like they are specifically summoning cartoon demons for their town and uh, they want them to feel at home when they get there. That must be it. So yeah, big bubble eyes. Maybe they're hoping to summon Garfield. You would think if that was the case, I guess some of those big cartoon eyes would be half-lidded. There would just be a giant thing of lasagna instead of Patsy on the table. Maybe that's the hell cat that they should be sacrificing. Garfield. <laughs> He's a terrible cat, that's true. Yeah. If you don't make this sacrifice, then this town will be forever Monday. Corey, who did you have as your best defender, and who did you have as your worst offender? For my best defender, I had Val, because she kicks butt and wanted nothing to do with Steve and Damon's flashy entrance and is responsible for allowing Patsy to reassert herself. Yeah, she really does use the greatest power of all, the power of friendship. I also had Valkyrie as my choice. I thought she did a great job. The wild card for me in these categories, and he ultimately didn't make the cut in either one, was Son of Satan. Because when I was deciding who my best defender was, I had Son of Satan being a jerk to Steve. And when I was trying to figure out who my worst defender was, I was like, Son of Satan being a jerk to Val. Mm. So it could have gone either way, but I feel like those kind of canceled each other out. And we were given the option of having a guy who tried to murder one of the other defenders and sacrifice her soul to the devil, because the gargoyle comes around at the end of the issue and joins the team, he's a defender, and he definitely did the worst job. Really all around. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, I I hadn't made that connection that he was part of the team yet. If I had, I think I would have chosen him. If not, yeah, I, I struggled, because everybody did an okay job. So I chose Kyle based on the assumption that something beyond his control didn't happen to him that spirited him away if he just got up and chose to leave. Clea has been doing a great job taking care of him. He didn't leave a note. And then he hung outside the window like a total creep and scared the heck out of her when she came in to bring him some tea. All good points. Thank you. But he technically didn't try to murder Hellcat and then whine about it later when it didn't work out so oh yeah no i'm saying if if i had made that connection to um gargoyle being a an option i I would have gone with him too but so do you think that's it's just it's official yeah i mean that's the whole point of a non-team there's no paperwork to fill out he says dr strange i'm a gargoyle now but with a gargoyle's power let me use that power to atone for all the pain i've caused let me join you son of satan's like Seems like a bad idea, but then the gargoyle's like, The gargoyle will never betray you, never! I served in two world wars in my younger days, and I'm ready to fight another, even if it should take us to the gates of hell. Creepy that he starts referring to himself in the third person there. But if being creepy disqualified you from defender status, then we wouldn't have Kyle. So, yeah, I I think that's him joining up. Yeah, you're right. I kind of missed that because after he makes his little speech, um, it says uh, the master of mystic arts considers Isaac Christian's words and slowly nods his assent. I wonder if he did like the slow clap when he did it and then started nodding, you know? 
Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think Steve ever goes past the slow clap that Stolly gives out. Oh, totally. And since it's always a slow clap, you can never quite tell if he's being sarcastic. Damn it, Steve. If you enjoy something, just say enjoy, enjoy like a normal person. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect this issue? There were some good ones that maybe weren't quite sound effects, but my favorite is on page 15, and it's Damon Hellstrom getting blasted with demon fire, and it makes the noise, whack it! Yeah, I read that as whacked, W-A-K-K-T-Z, which seems like it should uh, be like a brand of footwear in the late 90s, early aughts, you know, like lugs. <laughs> It's like a a children's toy that you hit with a mallet. Ooh, yeah. You know, technically, any children's toy can be a children's toy that you hit with a mallet. Well, it would come with a mallet. Oh, okay, gotcha. I liked that one a lot. I think my favorite is when Damon Hellstrom gets blasted with Hellcat's Hellfire, and it makes the noise, UNSTOPPABLE! (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good panel, too. Yeah, it's just him getting blasted with fire and what for all the world does look like a sound effect that says unstoppable. I know it's probably not supposed to be a sound effect, but Don Perlin did start out as an artist in the Golden Age. So, I mean, I think there is a possibility that it is just hearkening back to a time when sound effects could be used as exposition instead of onomatopoeias. And that is what I choose to believe. I like that. Then I guess the counterpart to that would be on page 23 when it's uh, Avarish in his fluffy white kitten form leaving Hellfire saying, Stop! Yep, that would be another one. Yeah, just leaving your earthly host makes the noise, Stop! (laughs) (laughs) And while we are on sound effects that are words or sounds that people make. I also had the one that we already talked about at the beginning, which is Dolly going, (laughs) The other sound effect that I think is worthy of note, just because it makes a nice counterpoint to a previous sound effect that we've discussed, the one that we brought up before was Smashang, which (laughs) we decided was a sound effect trying to adopt a British accent. And in this, at one point, Patsy's Hellfire makes the noise grashang. Mm-hmm. Just a weird noise. Yeah, not British. Nope. And the way that I read that one, too, is it's a hyphenated sound effect, and she's blasting, I guess, Steve and Val separately. So, like, one of them was getting the grash, one of them was getting the ang. Which would you rather be hit with? Man, maybe an ang, because that has, a, like, a metallic sound, so maybe it's, like, bouncing off your armor. Good point. I hate that feeling, though, like when you you hit something metal with something metal and you get that reverberation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I tried to fix my oven once. By hitting it with a hammer? Yeah. Um, there was a part that was stuck and my head was, I was, the whole top half of my body was inside the oven to get to this piece in the back. Was it a woman who lived in a house made out of gingerbread who tried to get you to fix that oven corn oh no 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 okay just checking no it was legitimately not heating up i i I was in no danger of being cooked that's what we all think Corey. but you know what witches do cook and eat children every day Uh uh-huh okay just wanted to make sure we're on the same page safety first 
Hello? Yeah. Oh, okay. Had me worried. <laughs> oh, no. Zero <laughs> didn't happen just now. <laughs> oh, be careful. You were in the middle of your uh, oven fixing story? Oh, no. It was just loud. Because I was hitting it with a hammer and damn. Metal on metal, you know? Not good. Well, I mean, the song Metal on Metal by Anvil is good. Corey, it's time for us to have a battle of the band names. In last week's contest, we saw Province of Science, those plucky Canadian lo-fi indie rockers, Shrouds. In a way that was frankly surprising to me, the alt-country challengers' dignity alcohol really wasn't even close. People just can't get enough of, uh, that lo-fi Canadian indie rock. Hmm. So we are left with the task of trying to find a different band that can go up against them. Uh, what band names were you able to find in this issue? Oh man, I found a few. The weird thing is, let's see, three of them are all some variation of death metal or black metal or things like that. Can I guess if we have one in common? Yeah, go for it. Psychosensitive? Oh my gosh, no. There's another one. Okay, well, what did you have? I had Choosers of the Slain. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. I also had, in all capitals, Unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. I had, as you heard, a psychosensitive. It's part of the phrase psychosensitive metal, and I felt like including the name metal in a metal band would be a little bit too on the nose, but uh, I feel like psychosensitive is probably a metal band. Yeah, unless you're James Hetfield and company. Good point. The other one that I had, I think, I don't know, I'm seeing this as being maybe you send a college rock band to fight a college rock band. The Phantom Threshold. Ooh, that's pretty good. I had another metal band that, like, it's come up a lot already in the issue. And the logo would be, I guess, like a lot of those death metal or black metal logos look like. I'm thinking, like, of Abbot. Abbot? Abbot. A-B-A-T-H. Oh, okay. I thought you were, I thought you were saying Abba. And I was like, that's not a metal band, Corey. I don't know, man. Dancing Queen. Pretty heavy. No, uh, Avarish are her favorite almost, almost (laughs) sin. It just sort of has that sound, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Like the A and the H are kind of the same size and the logo, and it's all spidery and splattery looking. Oh, so yeah, these would all be written in a font that it would be completely impossible to read on a flyer, is Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. And then I have one more, which is also still kind of like hell themed, but I think these guys are like a a super high concept hip hop collective called the Seven Circles. And they're okay. There is a band, the Seven Circles, but these guys spell it like with a seven, like the number seven, but and and circles is spelled with a Z. Wait, is it spelled with a Z in the issue? No, in the issue, it's it's spelled normal. Oh, fuck. We can't change the spelling, can we? No, we can't. God damn and it. And you, you keep flirting with this copyright violation thing. I was so into this whole story. I had like, okay, because they all sing about the different planes of hell, and there was nine of them at first, you know, <laughs> but then MC Fraud and MC Treachery got kicked out. <laughs> so then they had to change their name to the Seven Circles. 
Oh. It's just like, you know, Limbo and Lost and Gluttony and everybody was left. See, I really like the backstory, and I like how high concept it is. It is too bad that I don't think it technically qualifies as an option. I wish they had spelled circles with a Z. Damn it. All right. I think we got to go with the your concept of uh, let's uh, send a thief to catch a thief. Okay, the Phantom Threshold. I think so. I don't know. What do you What do you think is the strongest out of the the bunch? Gosh, what was your first one? Was pretty good. Oh, yeah, Choosers of the Slain. Choosers of the Slain is really that's a really good name for a metal band. Sounds pretty tough. We need somebody that can defeat those Canadian indie rockers. You know. Okay. Well. I think probably the Phantom Threshold is from Portland. <laughs> let's uh, let's give them a shot. Not that we don't have metal fans here. It's just, you know, it's not as... Yeah, no, I've seen some really good metal shows here. I actually think the last band that I saw before the pandemic was Holy Grove, and they're from here, and they're great. But yeah, for this week, let's go with the Phantom Threshold, and we'll see how they fare against their indie rock neighbors to the north. Corey, it's time for us to ask ourselves the age-old question, Behold or be gone? If you could have any and all satanic powers, but in exchange, the fingers of one hand had to have sentient animals for fingertips with mouths and heads. Do you want to make that trade-off? Um, I don't know what the full gamut of satanic powers are okay well i mean i think we're going with like the full range so you can have like reality manipulation illusion hellfire um the ability to make eggs and ham tastier Ooh, that one's good yeah so anything that is associated with the devil anything that the devil can do you can do better except not have a hand that has little animal heads on it the animal heads on my hand make noise? Yeah. Oh. Unless you can train them not to. They need to be fed? I mean, that's I'm not sure about. I think probably not, because, like, they get nourished, like, they're part of your body, so they get nourishment through you. This is too much responsibility. I don't like this at all. I'm going to forget that they're on there, and something bad's going to happen to those little guys. I, I don't, it's like having six pets. Wait, I got, I'm assuming I have six fingers. No, 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 just five. Just, just your regular five. That's still too many pets. Four, I'm sorry, Corey, four and a thumb. Yeah, that's regular. Um, I'm going to pass, man. I, like, I was thinking, okay, satanic power is cool because that could like, make life easier, where like, you, know, you might not have to sell time for money. Right, that's true. I mean, the devil can definitely stack that paper. Oh, you'd be able to quote scripture? I mean, anybody can do that if they memorize it. Well, yeah, but I think, like, the idea is that the devil already has memorized it because of that, you know, they got that phrase, the devil can quote scripture. You'd have a good memory. Yeah, absolutely. A devil of a memory. And, yeah, I mean, I gotta believe the devil's pretty good at making money, from what I've noticed. So, you'd have that. I feel like you could use some kind of magic power to probably seal off your hand in some kind of a magic snow globe so then you would basically just have one hand and then the other hand would be interesting looking i 
like the idea of using devil powers to become financially independent, but since that's the only selling point... There's also the ham, the eggs, and the food cake. Those all still taste good, though, like regular. (laughs) So yeah, I just feel like if I've learned nothing else from this issue... It's just not, not not making that kind of deal. So I'm going to be gone it. Yeah, really do like deviled eggs. But you know what? I can make those with my current powers. Yeah, you make a good deviled egg, my friend. And I just, the thing that I keep coming back to is uh, I like putting my hands in my pockets and I like washing dishes. And I wouldn't be able to do either of those. I'm sure there was a, like a magical workaround I could use, but uh, yeah, I just don't think it's worth it. It's not, especially these days with the pandemic, you know, you're washing your hands all the time. And if some of those fingers have cats on them. Oh, those guys would fucking hate hand sanitizer. It's not going to go well, you know? Oof. Yeah, you've got just another part of your body emitting saliva. Mm -hmm. Another five parts of your body emitting saliva. Yeah, and every time you touch something, you're literally using a face of yours to touch something. Yeah. And it probably is going to lick it, too. Oh, yeah. There's there's no way this is going to go well. It's a bad plan. It's not going to work out. It is a pair of begones. Devil, get thee behind me. And by that, I do not mean I want the devil's <laughs> face on my bottom. No, thank you. Begone. Begone. It's two begones. All right. I, I got one for you, for a change. Oh. So... I was at first really intrigued by one of the powers of Son of Satan's trident, that it can not only identify lies and deception, but dispel them. Oh. And I thought to myself, what a cool thing to be able to do. And then I thought to myself, hmm. Oh, boy. So, behold or be gone, the ability to always know when you are being lied to, and then to Erase it so that you know the truth. Be gone. I'm, I'm sorry, man. That one's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I be gone it pretty quickly, too. But I was yeah, curious. I don't want that liar, liar, trident power. I need the ability to live in socially convenient fictions. It's the only thing that makes <laughs> life possible. Yeah, because that would probably also like even apply to your self-talk, right? Oh, God. (laughs) They're like, everything's fine. Nope. (laughs) Ow. Damn it. And also, like, I mean, not as much of an issue now, but it would really make people not want to be around you if they knew you had that power. Oh, yeah. No, nobody could know. And then you're in that weird thing of like, I know the truth about everything, but I'm lying to everybody. No, thanks. Yeah, that wasn't a very good one. That was pretty one-sided. No, but I appreciate the effort. Maybe I'll have you do next month's. That's a bad idea. I'll try. How about that? Okay. Corey, what was your favorite panel? Oh, man. As you mentioned, the the art in this was really enjoyable. I have a couple choices. I think probably the winner is Demon Patsy on page 18, where it looks kind of like she's in a, a sort of surfing position, and there's fire coming out of her palms, and she just looks ready to mess you up yeah and i think it's the right choice here that she is depicted the panel has no background it's just a plain flat black background i think that is the right choice it is very striking and 
pretty well done. I like that panel a lot. For me, the ones that it comes down to are the double page spread on pages two and three when Val, Damon, and Steve all show up in Virginia. It is so striking, and it also really does amuse me that Val looks like she is riding a miniature horse very intently. Yeah, yeah, good choice. It's really cool looking. I feel like this issue really shows what a difference a good inker makes to a comic book. Because it is the same penciler we've had since Ed Hannigan's run. But when he works with Joe Sinnott, it's just totally different. Mm -hmm. The other one that I I have to choose is the final page, where you have the six-fingered hand looming in the background with its goofy-ass finger puppets (laughs) menacing the defenders. Son of Satan has his Dracula cape wrapped around Patsy because now that she's not a demon, I guess her weird bondage bikini doesn't work anymore. So nice of him to be a gentleman there. And you see Isaac is joining the team as the gargoyle. But it's just a really nicely drawn picture, and those little puppet heads amuse the fuck out of me. Yeah, it is just goofy as hell. And also, I like that next issue we're going to see a vampire. Oh, yeah. Vampire Strikes Back. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I just got that this is 81, so that is almost certainly an Empire Strikes Back pun. Oh, good call. Yep. That timing checks out. I had another panel, too, that really kind of amused me offhandedly. So you talked earlier about Steve's balloon animal spell casting. Mm -hmm. And there's another one. It's on page five where I called it Steve is bad at throwing stars. (laughs) Do you know the one I'm talking about? I do know the one you're talking about. It's right before uh, Steve is good at kaleidoscopes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. His spellcasting is so colorful, but this one, it looks like he's like hurling a handful of throwing stars towards the viewer, but they're all magical and squiggly and weird, and some of them are round. And I don't know. It's just a a funny panel to me. It is. You used to make your own throwing stars, right? Out of of bicycle sprockets you got at the junkyard? I did, yeah. My dad had a grinder, a metal grinder in his shop. (laughs) Yeah. Very safe childhood, (laughs) unsupervised. You can make those things really sharp and they will stick into a tree or other wooden things. Or non-wooden things. I never threw them at people or animals. No, I appreciate that too. You're welcome. I'm glad, despite you being the firstborn, (laughs) you you were not sold to the devil. Although, you know what? I bet they could have gotten very good value for you. Oh, that's kind of you to say. I have a big soul. What was your pie not made out of steel? What words did you like best in this issue, much like you would like a pie if it were not made out of steel? Gosh, that weird scene in which Patsy is chained up in the town hall slash Satan church. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of exposition that reads... In the incense-sweetened air overhead, a shadow royals taking shape, and strapped ignominiously to a makeshift altar, Pat Seawalker strains against her bonds. In vain. Yeah, that is a nicely crafted caption. I think my favorite comes down to a couple of things Son of Satan says. He is just hamming it up so much, and it is so much fun to watch him devil out. It comes up in a couple of different ways. 
I think the most extreme version is on page 14. Burn, vermin, burn! My heart dances when I see your bodies wither, when I hear your agonized screams. <laughs> it's just so fucking intense, and uh, I just love the extent to which he is hamming that up. I think he's singing for Choosers of the Slain. <laughs> Could be. But so that was a lot of fun. I also think it's fun that he keeps <laughs> dropping his dad's name. It's kind of embarrassing, the extent to which he keeps being like, My father? Maybe you've heard of him? Guy named Satan? Well, just look at the position that he's in in this issue. This is like his wheelhouse, man. Totally. My other favorite is on page nine. And I think this is my actual favorite. When Steve says, I've placed a spell of bafflement about this township. As far as anyone knows, there was a fire here tonight. Nothing more. And Damon Hellstrom's response is, What do you want, mage? Applause? A pat on the back? <laughs> I love that, too. And maybe even more, because when I first read it, I, I guess I was reading too fast and everything, and I read Damon's retort is, What do you want, mage? Applesauce? A pat <laughs> on the back? It's like, what? Who says that? What, do you need to eat soft foods, little baby? <laughs> you need some strained peas? A pat on the head? Zing. You're dighty? And Val is so indignant on Steve's behalf. Yeah, she, she says, Damon, how dare you? It's like, have you met Steve? Aren't you tempted to say that sometimes? And then unfortunately, as I said, Son of Satan is not just a jerk to Steve. He goes on to be a jerk to Val in a way that is less fun for me. He says, oh, shut up, woman. Look around. We are in the grip of a great evil, and I am to blame. And he has a salbucema mouth trapezoid in that that looks like it is just going to unhinge his jaw and like maybe another demon's going to crawl out of it. It's just such a weird expression. It is. And I like, too, though, that, I mean, I don't like what he says, but this idea of he's deviling out so hard that he's literally catching on fire. Uh-huh. Like, there's flames starting to come off of his skin and his hair and everything. Like, he's just losing his shit. And it reminded me of, like, when a little kid has a total fucking meltdown. <laughs> Do they often spontaneously combust? <laughs> oh. No, but, like, that same level of just like, oh, shit. This is out of control. Yeah, it is intense and he is very intense throughout this and i don't know if you know this but uh this guy's dad not a nice man uh you've probably heard of him he's very famous yeah well cory although he does not appear in this issue we still both know that the hulk rules in this issue what were the hulk's rules yeah, I think I said it already, so it's going to be a little bit repetitive. But don't make deals with demons or the devil, period. Don't do it. It never ends well. Ever. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate to say it. You, you don't want to make blanket statements, but the devil, you can't trust him. <laughs> yeah, absolutism has its pitfalls, but don't make deals with the devil. Just do not do it. It's always confusing for me when you, you hear about stuff like the son of Sam, like the like the devil is talking to him through his dog, telling him to do stuff. Don't listen to the devil. Mm -mm. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. Not at all. 
Come on. Think it through, son of Sam. <laughs> you dummy. Dumbass. Ugh. God. I think that is a very solid Hulk's rule. I had the Hulk's rule being, just because something is goofy and ridiculous doesn't mean it isn't also dangerous. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. I mean, it's a lesson that I think we've had kind of rammed down our throats for the past several years. Yeah. But in this issue, we see it in the form of the six-fingered hand. I mean, that is some goofy-ass shit. And when I see it, I see finger puppets, and I wonder if there's a seven-fingered hand that just has, like, black olives and bugles on it. But (laughs) that doesn't mean that those demons aren't going to murder you. Oh, man. Bugles are so good. They really are. What's your favorite kind of bugle? Oh, Jesus. They have different kinds. I just thought there was, like, the cheese one the regular one there's the regular one there's the nacho cheese one there's the caramel ones which i like to i like to do a handful mix of those with the nacho cheese ones damn yeah these are some tasty ass corn chips and they make nice little finger hats we live in amazing times these truly Corey, are the days of miracles and wonders Mm. Well, Corey, I got one more question I got to ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1981, and the month of our Lord, April, what Wong doings was Wong doing? So towards the end of the month, Steve had decided that he wanted to take a trip to St. Louis and uh, do some tourism and um, requested that Wong come, come along in his professional capacity. Is, uh, Were they going to visit their pal, Son of Satan, who is from Missouri? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. So, as often happens when Stephen Damon Hellstrom get together, the one-upsmanship and this and that gets a little out of hand. And, uh, yeah, so Stephen, Son of Satan, basically went on about a week-long beer bender. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, towards the end of it, you know, their speech obviously was slurred and they had just had way too much booze over way too long of a period of time with not enough sleep. And Steve conflated something that Hellstrom had said about uh, King of Beers, which was a slogan that uh, Budweiser, who was brewed there, misconstrued that as a King of Bears. Oh. And uh, I don't know if you know this about Steve, but he's actually a little scared of bears. <laughs> understandable yeah but you know full of a a week's worth of drunken bravado he was convinced he needed to rid the fair city of st louis of this evil bear king and proceeded to the uh anheuser-busch brewery and commenced to just blasting the holy hack out of all the holding tanks with all the hexes he could muster to try and flush out this evil bear king that he thought was hiding in there and uh eventually he passed out and you know fortunately wong was able to retrieve him and get some electrolytes in him and get him back to health. But the result of this was that all those curses and hexes that Steve had hurled at those fermentation tanks resulted in uh, what today is known as Bud Light. So (laughs) weighing in at an anemic 4.2% ABV and, you know, 110 calories per 12 ounce bottle. You know, not not great. The the brewery, though, wanting to make uh, lemonade out of horse piss, decided to test market this starting uh, April 30th. 
And uh, strangely, people seem to like it. And uh, yeah. they began selling Bud Light in uh, the summer of 82 after their testing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, Corey, who do you think is the king of bears? Oh, geez. I think just in terms of like size and, and toughness, I'm going to go with either a grizzly or a polar bear. But in terms of a bear like I'd want to hang out with, probably a Malaysian sun bear. I was going to say Malaysian sun bear. I feel like definitely the grizzly and the polar are tougher and more intimidating. You get your Kodiak bear, too. But uh, I got to say, I think the Malaysian sun bears just got some good ideas. And uh, I think maybe would do well in a leadership position. Of the Earth He's probably camera. wearing some like thick glasses, <laughs> like hanging out <laughs> behind the scenes, calling shots. Uh huh. He's the bear behind the bear. <laughs> I can picture the guy. So cute. <laughs> so smart. He's got it all figured out. King of bears. I'm glad we're on the same page about Malaysian sun bears. Yeah, that was weird. I don't know. I feel <laughs> like we haven't talked about that before either. I don't think we have. I did. I th- did. We both have Zoo Books subscriptions. Oh yeah, that's probably it. I think that's probably where it comes from. <laughs> that bear issue. That's that's the MVP of that line. Oh, this has the bone structure and everything? Muscles? Yep. And just, you know, it talks about different types of bears. I think that came out at a time when panda bears were not technically bears. And then now panda bears are bears again. What kind of governing body makes these decisions? <laughs> Well, we now know it's the Malaysian sun bear. Oh, that's right. <laughs> He's the king of bears. Pandas, you're it. He's a capricious ruler, though. Mm. Yeah, mercurial. Yeah, pandas got Plutoed for a bit, but, uh, you know, now they're back in the mix. Good for them. Thank goodness. Koalas, still no dice. <laughs> they know what they did. <laughs> Eucalyptus spelling motherfuckers. <laughs> Fucking up crime scenes with their human-like thumbprints. Taken over minds by licking people's eyeballs. Wait, that's not a... I think that's something koalas do. That was not in the zoo books, my friend. Well, that was one thing that Wag was up to in <laughs> April of 1981. But it wasn't the only activity Wong and, S- and Steve and Son of Satan were mixed up in. See, you're right about Son of Satan bringing out in some ways the worst in Steve, making him a little more competitive than he would normally be. And Son of Satan invited Steve to go see a movie with him. And that movie was The Beyond, the 1981 Lucio Fulci movie about a woman who discovers a portal to hell. Now, Steve agreed to go, but he gets spooked real bad by horror movies. And Wong, in particular, has seen the results of Steve trying to watch avant-garde Italian horror films. Mm, and true. he was like, you shouldn't do this, Steve. And Steve's like, Wong, I'll be fine. You'll come with me, right? And Wong's like, no. No, you're on your own on this one. You got yourself into this. I'm not going to fly to Italy with you just to watch you freak out at this Italian horror movie. And Steve's <laughs> like, oh, but... Uh, what do I do? I I will be too spooked if Wong's not there to to hold my hand when it gets too spooky. Uh, how can I convince Wong? And so Steve took a page out of the new Teen Titans playbook and started eavesdropping on some conversations. Unfortunately, Steve is not the practiced eavesdropper, 
that the Titans are, and his combination of mishearing and misremembering certain phrases led to a little bit of confusion. See, Steve heard Wong having dinner with Dolly Donahue as she was recuperating and recovering from her injuries, and they were talking shop about what it's like to work for a bunch of ungrateful superheroes. They had some very nice dinner together, and Dolly Donahue makes a mean cobbler. And so after dinner, she offered Wong a piece of dessert, and Wong said, I could never say no to your award-winning cobbler. And Steve overheard that. He's like, oh, Wong is incapable of denying the requests of a cobbler, especially one who has won awards. And that got all turned around in his mind, and so that led to Steve teleporting famed jockey Willie Shoemaker (laughs) over to the Sanctum Sanctimonious. Steve read in the paper that Willie Shoemaker had just won his 8,000th race. That's 2,000 more than any other jockey. And so he was like, Now, Mr. Shoemaker, you must insist that Wong accompanied me to the film The Beyond in Italy on April 29th. And so uh, Willie Shoemaker was very confused to find himself suddenly teleported into this strange man's sanctum. But he walked up to Wong and he said, uh, eh, Mr. Wong, you don't know me, but I'm Willie Shoemaker. Will you go to Italy with Steve? And Wong was like, no. And that is the Wong doings that <laughs> Wong was doing oh, in Steve. April of 1981. Steve ended up going to see that movie, and boy, did he get spooked. Yeah, no, Lucio Fulci makes a creepy movie. Uh-huh. Not a great movie, but a creepy movie. <laughs> nope. <laughs> There's some interesting shots in them, for sure. Mm. You want to see a zombie fight a shark? Lucio Fulci's your man. You want to see somebody inadvertently eat an eyeball? Lucio Fulci's probably your man. That zombie shark fight scene is actually amazing. It's really cool. And like, you know, the, the classic scene of like the hand reaching out of the grave and pulling itself up. Uh, that's a that's a Fulci. It mm. gets referenced a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, bad, mostly really terrible movies. <laughs> He's no Dario Argento, and I'm also not a huge fan of Dario Argento. Mm. All kinds of bears and Italian horror here. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you, Corey, for joining me and discussing this issue. We will be back next episode with another. New Teen Titans issue. They'll be teaming up with Infinity Inc. I'm looking forward to that. And we'll be back in two weeks to see what happens when the vampire strikes back. Ooh, if it's going to be a Empire Strikes Back themed issue, do you think we'll finally find out who the son of Satan's father is? Come on. Who could it be? Dude. It's the devil, Corey. Anyway, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so by reaching us via our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically at ttwasteland at gmail.com. There's also some other social media, computery type ways you can get in touch with us. Just, uh, Yell at your computer until it takes you to the site where our thoughts live and, you know, hang out with us there. If you can't find us there by following the 
clear and explicit instructions I just provided, well, there's another place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. We'll be there. You always have been there. This week, what I'm doing in there, I think I'm trying to dig out some of my old zoo books. Learn about bear musculature. How about you, Corey? Uh, I don't know. I, I might borrow the zoo book when you're done with it and uh, probably eat a big bowl of ice cream. Oh, yeah, ice cream is delicious. Goes good with zoo books. I suppose it would. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by checking us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do and you donate, you get access to all kinds of bonus material. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. And there's also a bunch of little video reviews of classic comics that I've made that are up there. And so you can just uh, poke around and find that. There's other podcasts that we've done for our donors. And just, you know, poke around, see what you like. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, well, you can do that too. I'm not going to stop you. I wouldn't dare. One way that you can do that is by sacrificing your soul to the devil. Just tell him to spread the weight. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no. Hoax rules, buddy. Got to keep remembering those. You know what? Don't sell your soul to the devil on our behalf or anyone else's. You, you know what I got to say about the devil? That guy's a real prick. <laughs> I don't like to use that kind of language, but you know what? He, he's a real so-and-so. Mm-hmm. To heck with that guy. Oh, yeah. So don't do that. Uh, maybe just tell a, tell a friend. And, and here, here's a newsflash, buddy. The devil's not your friend. He's nobody's friend. Nope. That guy's bad news. Bad meaning bad. Yes, more in the Huey Lewis sense of bad than the Jam Master J sense of bad. Mm-hmm. His guitar sounds like a chainsaw buzzing. Yup. All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. And they know it. Wait, isn't Satanish one of the six fingerheads? Do we know the names of the six fingerheads? No, I don't know why. I, maybe because that's the only character with the, also Satan in the name. <laughs> so it's like, clearly he's one of those guys. Yeah, I think the only one we know so far is that presumably, I guess, uh, Avarish. Yeah, and they both end with Ish. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're brothers. Mm-hmm. And they live together on a hand. Corey, I love you, but I don't want to live on a hand with you. Yeah, no, that's, we're cool, bro. <laughs> Good. I don't know yeah. why I said ice cream. I said, I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is going to be a fucking Malaysian sun bear to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Tire one of those. I wish. <laughs>